Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio, and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and the people said, and the people said, bring the book. And so here, Ezra the scribe, he opened the book, or Marcus the wannabe scribe opened the book, and the people stood to their feet. Let's stand together and read. And so after Nathan had gone home, you'd have to look at next week's message if you don't know what's going on. And after Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child, this is David's child, um, the child of Bathsheba. Notice it says Uriah's wife. There's so much there that we could talk about, but she's married to David now, still Uriah's wife, because there's the possibility you could have a marriage on earth that's not recognized in heaven. Just saying. Come on. Marriage is a serious thing before God. Just throwing it out there. Hey, I know we don't like this stuff no more, but hey, what do you want me to be? A player or a preacher? You know, you want me, what do you want me to be? Okay. Man, I didn't, it's starting off strong. I don't know why it's starting off strong. I, hey, let's just go ahead and switch gears because this is actually a pretty depressing sermon. It's not confrontational at all. This is really a sermon for the weary soul. But I'm feeling a little spicy for some reason up front. Okay, so and David, so the child became ill, and David pleaded with God for the child. And he fasted and spent nights lying in sackcloth, just speaking of repentance, laying on the ground. And the elders of his household stood beside him, tried to get him up from the ground, but he refused, and he would not eat any food that they tried to give him. So let's just take just a minute and get the image here. David's child is deathly ill and he's fasting. He's pleading with God. He's praying. He's laying before God on the floor. He's refusing. He's refusing to eat. And so this is a picture of his faith, his faith that God is going to turn this tragic situation around for him. And he's just believing God, God, you're going to, you're going to heal my son. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to pull him out of, of the sickness that's trying to take his life. And in verse 18, on the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child had died for they thought while the child was living, he wouldn't listen to us. When we spoke to him, how now can we tell him the child has died? He may do something desperate. So this is a picture of that faith that he had failing him, what he was believing God for, what he was what he was putting his faith in has now failed him. And there are times when your faith will fail you. Now, we don't like the negative. We don't, we don't like to acknowledge sometimes uh, what we believed about God, what we believed God would do for us, how we believed God would work in a situation. And even how many times we quoted scriptures and beliefs that he would work. Sometimes it fails you, but nonetheless, at times your faith will fail you. And so the Bible says, David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves and he realized that the child had died. And he asked, has the child died? And they said, yes, 
he is dead. Again, his faith failed. So David got up from the ground and washed, changed his clothes, went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. I love this part of it. So if you have never been through a time where your faith has failed, you don't get how, how mind boggling that is. When your faith has failed, the last place you want to be is in church. When your faith has really failed, the last thing you want to do is hear a sermon, hear somebody quote scripture, hear somebody give you some Christian cliche. That's the last thing you want to do. It is a major statement. His child has died and his first, the first thing he does is he goes to the house of God and he worships. Come on. Some of us can't go when everything's going great. He goes when his faith has failed. I just love that so much. And his attendants ask him, why are you acting this way? We don't get it. What's the point? What are you doing? Like, why are you, why are you worshiping in this, this kind of, and he said, while the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but the child is dead, but you get up and eat. It makes no sense to them. Their logic, their human reasoning can't put it together. And he answered, while the, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he almost lost it, help me, Jesus. And why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? Watch what happens. I will go to him. He will not return to me. His faith has failed, but get the picture here. He has hope. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about. Hope in the middle, hope in the middle, because the next verse says he went in with Bathsheba, um, spent some time with her, uh, and that gave birth to Solomon and the Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word to the prophet Nathan. So he has faith. His faith fails. His love dies. He has some way of grabbing hold of hope, and eventually Solomon is born. One more verse as you're seated. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 13 says, These three things remain. These three things remain faith, hope, and love. And that the greatest of these is love. So what I want you to get a picture of is that hope is in the middle. It's faith, hope, and love that, that hope connects faith and love that hope is the bridge because sometimes faith will fail and love will die. And when your faith doesn't work and maybe even it doesn't feel like there's a breath in the lungs of love, that's when hope comes into play. Hope is in the middle. I'll give you some quick background. David has just made one of the biggest mistakes of his life. Of course, he's um, committed adultery with Bathsheba to cover it up. They've killed her husband, Uriah. Um, the prophet Nathan walks into David and tells him this parable. And the parable is of a rich man and a poor man. The rich man has all the sheep that you could imagine, all the cattle that you could imagine. The poor man just have, has one little lamb 
that lives with him, even sleeps with him. And is this man loves this little lamb and he's on a journey and he's got the little lamb with him. He goes to the rich man's house. He's hungry. He's weary from the journey, looking for rest, maybe looking for something to eat. And the rich man, instead of taking one of his many sheep or many cattle, kills the poor man's lamb and feeds the poor man and eats with the poor man from that, that lamb that he brought. David hears the story and the Bible said he's so enraged. He said, who is that man? Show him to me and I'll make sure he pays it all back. And Nathan, the prophet looks at David and he says, you are that man. He goes on to say, God gave you everything you could have ever dreamed for David took you from being a little shepherd boy and gave you the palace. He protected you from your adversary, Saul. He, he saved your life over and over again. And there's not one thing that you've desired that God has not given you. And he would have given you even more if you would have asked. The prophet leaves David's presence. So look at his life is already filled with personal failure. He's looking at his life and he's personally failed greatly. He now knows God is disappointed in him. He walks into the room and he finds out his child is now deathly ill. He's doing everything he can. He's fasting. He's praying. He's weeping. He's begging God. God, don't let my child die. But the Bible is clear in spite of his faith, in spite of his prayers, in spite of his fasting, the child dies. The child dies and he gets up, takes a shower, puts some clothes on, goes to church and worships, goes and gets a bite to eat. And the Bible says, not long after that, Solomon was born. What I want you to see is that faith did not give birth to Solomon. Hope gave birth to Solomon. And sometimes you may not have faith, but that's where God is going to teach you in this message about hope. The Bible teaches in Romans 15, 13, that he is the God of hope. The word hope occurs 52 times in the new Testament alone. And every time you read about hope, it's connected to God in some way. And so here we see that, that faith may start some things out, but you'll need hope in the middle when faith might fail and love might die. You'll need hope. You'll need to understand hope, the purpose of hope. Let's just talk about it for a minute because we hear a lot of sermons on faith. You can read a lot of uh, books on faith, uh, a lot of churches named after faith, entire movements after faith. Of course, we know you can't even get saved without faith. The disciples, for example, ask uh, God for more faith. Uh, the disciples would be talking about, give us the faith that can, that can move mountains. The Bible talks about, you've been given a measure of faith. It talks about the spirit of faith. It talks about the gift of faith, all kinds of talk about faith. 
you know, there's a lot of talk about love, right? Cause God is love. The greatest of these is love. And yes, he is love. And yes, he does love us. And yes, his grace is, uh, uh, more than we could ever have dreamed. His love is radical, outrageous, unexplainable, uh, really even in many ways, uh, way more than, than, than what we as a human could ever even possibly relate to is that agape unconditional love that God has for us. However, you don't hear a ton about hope, maybe occasionally here and there, uh, a word will be thrown in, but I want to talk to you not about faith and not about love. I want to talk to you about hope that's in the middle. Because some of you are full of faith and some of you, your life is filled with love, but there's some in here that your faith has failed and your love has died. And so this sermon is for those people. It's for people that your faith is struggling and, and your faith is maybe even in a crisis and, and you're not sure what to believe about a lot of things. And you have a lot of questions. You have a lot of doubts. You have a lot of unbeliefs. And when it comes to loving your life, whether it's loving yourself or loving God or loving the people in your life, it's just kind of in a lifeless place. This is the message for you because hope is what you have to learn to grab hold of when faith has failed and love has died. And so this is a popular story in literature about an Italian woman named Sophia, whose name means wisdom. She had three daughters, faith, hope, and charity. When her daughters were 12, 10, and nine, the Roman emperor was attracted to these young girls. And specifically what caught their attention is that they would not worship uh, the false goddess that he wanted them to bow down to and, and to serve and to worship. And so he calls them in and he asked them to do it and they refuse to do it. And they state it's because of their faith in Jesus Christ. He asked them to renounce their faith in Christ and they refused. And so he put them under house arrest and he told them he would give them some time to think about their decision. And then he would bring them back in. And the mom was there and began to talk to her daughters about what was at stake. That if they chose to disobey the emperor, it would cost them their lives. And the girls all agreed that they would rather die than renounce their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The day came, the emperor brings them back in. And the first daughter that's brought in is faith. He looks at faith and he says, have you had a chance to think about your decision. I just want to be clear. If you choose to not deny Jesus Christ, you'll be tortured and executed. And faith says, there's no way I would deny Christ. So in front of the sisters, in front of the mom, she's tortured and executed. Now hope is brought into the room. You saw what happened to faith. You saw how faith was tortured and died. And that is your future but you can change it if you'll just renounce your faith in Christ. And hope says in her defense, am I not faith's sister? I love that phrase. Am I not faith's sister? Hope was tortured and killed. And then love was brought in the room and same conversation went on. And love said, am I not the sister of faith and hope? She was executed and killed. Sophia was able to grab the remains of her daughters. She went 
buried them. Three days later, she died of her own grief. And there on that burial spot is a house of worship, a church that's been built in honor of Sophia. These three sisters being grouped together is not uncommon. Again, Hope's defense in the story was, am I not Faith's sister? Am I not the sister of Faith? You see, what connects Faith and love is hope. It's in the middle. But unfortunately, it's the neglected sibling. In a lot of people's life, they, they, they got a concept of Faith and they got a concept of love, but they don't know how and when Faith or hope comes into play. And hope usually comes into play in the middle. You see, hope is vital to your soul. Hope is vital to your spirit, like oxygen is to your body. When faith fails and love dies, it's hope that steps in and says, don't neglect me. Don't, don't walk away from me. It's not over for you. Hope is usually in the middle. Now, Sarah, when I met her, she had a, a hope chest. Now, I'd never heard of a hope chest, but it was something her grandma had passed down to her. And she went on to tell me that inside of this hope chest were all kinds of like little trinkets and pictures, maybe and ideas. And uh, I don't know what they were, just little things that would remind her maybe of this life that someday she was hoping for and dreaming for, you know, like, like, and she never let me in it. Like she never let me open. I don't know what that was about. Like letters to old boyfriends and things like that. Probably, you know, all kinds of private things that I wasn't allowed to see. Probably like pictures of six foot three, right? Like full head of hair men that would be her future husband. Right. And she got, you know, what she wasn't hoping for. And I don't know all that was in there. But I thought that every believer needs a spiritual hope chest. Just a place that you can go and remind yourself of what you're dreaming for, what you're believing God for. And so I threw a few things in the spiritual hope chest here. The first one is an anchor. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter six and verse 19, that hope is an anchor to your soul. I want you to think about this because I've recently learned a few things about anchors. Sometimes we'll go to Florida and we'll rent a boat. And if you've ever had to operate a boat, you would know this, but anchors are usually in the front of the boat. It's called the bow of the boat. And I didn't understand exactly why this was until the first time I had to use an anchor. And I didn't understand how the, the way the boat had to be facing towards the current. I, I didn't get any of that stuff. So I just threw the anchor in and the anchor got wrapped around the back of the boat, around the motor, because I didn't turn the motor off. It was messed up. <laughs> and what they say is that you never want to anchor from the stern of the boat or the back of the boat because that's the square part of the boat and that's where waves can crash over and splash into the boat. Add to just the 
the squareness of the back of the boat, the weight of the motor, and then add to that the weight of an anchor. It is a dangerous combination. So the anchor is on the front of the boat to tell not so intelligent people like me that the anchor has to go forward because the waves and the current are trying to push the boat to the shore. You have to anchor the forward, the front part of the boat towards the waves and against the current. And then you put your anchor there. And the Bible says that hope is an anchor to your soul. In other words, hope connects us to the future in the same way that guilt connects us to our past. When you and I come up with our memories and we begin to remind ourselves of our history and our mistakes, those images and those memories can many times as we rehearse them bring up a sense of guilt, a sense of falling short, a sense of, of shame. But in the same way, hope connects you to your future because you're imagining a better tomorrow as a result of hope. Hope is an interesting word. It means in the Hebrew to stretch out the mind in a straight direction towards the goal of your expectation to stretch out my mind in a straight direction towards the goal of my expectation. So if I'm, if I've got hope and it's the anchor of my soul, I, I anchor it towards the goal of my expectation. And this anchors my soul. This anchors, this brings stability to my soul. It brings stability, waves all around, all kinds of currents pushing against me, all kinds of things outside of me that are working against me, trying to take me somewhere I don't want to go, trying to take me back there. All these things are going on. But if I have hope, it's an anchor, it's a stabilizer to my mind, to my thoughts, to my emotions, to my feelings, to my choices, to my decisions. If I have hope, it brings stability in my life. Why? Because I can't anchor back here. There's nothing that God has for me that's back here. Everything in my past is a graveyard. Everything back here is, is lifeless. Nothing about where God wants to take me can be anchored back here. I have to throw my anchor forward. And in life, sometimes it'll feel like something is trying to take your hope. Maybe the devil will be after your hope. When that happens, you've got to make a decision to say, you know what? I cannot let anything rob me of my hope. They said to David, David, we don't get you. We don't understand you. Your child just died. That's true. So your faith that you had failed you. Yeah, I guess it did. Uh, uh, your, 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 your child, the love, the affection of your heart has died. What you're believing God for, the opposite happened. Is that true? Yes, that's absolutely true. We don't get what's going on. And David was just pretty clear. Hey, listen, there's no way he can come to me, but one day I will go to him and I'm going to anchor my soul to that. I'm going to bring stability to my today by throwing the anchor out to the hope of that 
in my tomorrow. Bartholomew Diaz rounded the southernmost part of Africa, and when he did, he called it the Cape of Storms. A few years later, another Portuguese navigator rounded the same cape, but called it the Cape of Hope. And interesting, one navigator sees a storm, another navigator looks at the same exact spot, same exact geography, and he calls it hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says, For everything that was written in the past, speaking of the scriptures, was written to teach us so that thought that endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, you might have hope. The reason we have stories like this of David is that you and I could come to a church service like this and maybe, maybe we're looking at something lifeless. Maybe it's a lifeless marriage. Maybe it's a lifeless uh, spiritual life. Maybe it's mistakes. Maybe you can't seem to break free from an addiction. It's possible that maybe you're even dealing with the lifeless uh, dream, or maybe it's a child or that, that's, that's died and you're, and you're living the nightmare that we're reading about with David. The death of a parent. And Romans says, these things are written to us so we could see the endurance they had. And how did David survive it? How did he get through it? How did he get up, take the shower, go to church and worship, go grab a bite to eat? How did he do it? It's reading about David. It's reading about Abraham, who the Bible says, in hope against hope believed. God gave us the word of God to be an anchor to our soul. Now, there's two different types of ways of going at life. You, you have your logic, right? Logic is just human reasoning. I look at the facts. I look at what's going on and, and my logic gives me some type of interpretation of what's happening. My human reasoning tells me. That. And if you live by human reasoning alone, you will be discouraged most of the time. Because most of the time, your logic is going to say, the current's working against me. Uh, the waves are coming against me. Things are trying to push me one way, and I don't have the strength to go the other way. But there's another word called theo, which means God. And for most, they keep their logic here, and they keep God over here. But the scripture says the word of God, which is theology, right? It's it's all it is, is taking God and putting him into logic It's putting God in front of my logic. If I trust my logic, I'm going to be discouraged. But if I put God in front of my logic, that's theologic. And every time, you know what God's going to say to me? Hope. Every time God's going to say hope. God's going to say, I know it. The faith failed. I know the love died, but I'm going to teach you how to hope now. I, I, I know that, 
that Noah, it looks like there's no way to survive, but just keep on cutting the wood and keep on putting the nails in and keep on building what I've called you to build. And somehow, some way I'm going to save you and your family. I, I know Daniel, that the threat is real, that the, the, the lions are hungry and, and that the danger is in front of you. But I just want you to go ahead and just keep on opening the window three times a day and praying and keeping hope a lot, even though it looks like your faith has failed when you're thrown into the lion's den. And even though it looks like nothing is working the way it's supposed to in those moments, I want to teach you how to keep hope alive. You see, the stories that were given to us, it's because our problems are not new. God's seen them before. And that's why he gives us hope as an anchor to our soul. The next thing we have in here is some version of chain. And the Bible says in Zechariah chapter nine and verse 12, that we are prisoners of hope. I love that thought. It's just a beautiful image to me that we're prisoners of hope. 48 times in the old Testament, a word is used for hope that speaks of painful expectation. Just painful expectation. It's, it's the image of a mom giving birth to a child, painful expectation. So what this teaches us is that hope is not like pie in the sky. This isn't, I wish I may, I wish I might kind of hope. Hope is rarely pain-free, but you choose, am I going to be a prisoner of my pain? Am I going to be a prisoner of my loss? Am I going to be a prisoner of, of what went wrong? Or am I going to be a prisoner of hope? I want to encourage you that David, his faith failed and his love died, but he put hope in the middle. He said, if I'm going to be a prisoner of anything, I'm going to be a prisoner of this, that he cannot get to me, but one day soon I will go to him. Matthew 12 and verse 20 says, a bruised reed, he will not break. A reed is many times used in a uh, woodwind instrument. If you played the clarinet or a saxophone, or you've ever seen a little piece of wood that goes into the, the front piece of the mouthpiece of that instrument. Uh, again, I not super proficient with it, but I know when you blow into it, the reed uh, will, will vibrate and produce sound. And so in Bible times, shepherds would, would make these woodwind instruments. They were like flute-like instruments. And every now and then the, the reed would get damaged. Well, because they were in marshy regions and new reeds were abundant, instead of trying to work on fixing the bruised or the broken or the damaged reed, they would just throw it away and go get a new one. And so the Bible here says that God will not break, will not throw away a bruised reed. If it doesn't have a song anymore, if everyone else says there's no use for it, it's a throwaway. God will not throw away a bruised reed. When life chips you, 
when, when life bruises you, when your heart is broken, God does not look down and say, oh, forget about it. That's how people are. People walk out. People say you're of no use now because you got this bruise or you got this mark against you or you got this issue in your life and people walk away and they just look at you and they say you're a throwaway. But that's not how God does it. God walks in when everyone else walks out. God comes and pulls you up when everyone else throws you out. That's how he does his best work, by the way. And what happens is when God gets done healing you and God gets done mending you, the people that walked out on you sit back and they hear a beautiful sound. They think to themselves, what is that beautiful sound? Where, where is that coming from? Oh, that's that old broken, bruised, damaged Reed Marcus. What? There's no way. There's no way that beautiful sound is coming from someone as damaged and messed up as him. I thought we threw him out. I thought we walked out on that. And all of us in here have had people look at us and say, it's not worth anything. And we're throwaways. But God walks in and someday the people sit back and they're like, how is that beautiful sound coming from someone whose life is messed up like that? And I love that God does not give up on us when we're broken. Heaven's most beautiful sounds come from broken reeds. One translation says it like this. He does not crush the weak, neither will he quench the small hope. Listen, Cincinnati, you got to learn to put hope in the middle. All of you watching online, I don't know what's going on, but can I help you out? You got to learn to put hope in the middle. Be a prisoner of hope. You can be a prisoner to a lot of things in this life, but you got to learn to say, above all things, I'm going to be a prisoner of hope. Story of an American war hero that was asked to go on an incredibly dangerous mission. There had been 12 soldiers who are now POWs that were being held hostage behind enemy lines. And the mission was a rescue mission was to go get these 12 POWs. And this man, along with a small group of others said, we will go. They put the plan together. The day arrived, the platoon was flown in by helicopter. As they got to the place, they believed the POWs were being held Running across the field, this war hero stepped on a landmine and it exploded. And when he picked himself up off the dirt, trying to figure out if he was still okay or even alive, he reaches up and he realizes his face has been blown off. Somehow he gathers the strength to join the platoon, the three other men that were there and go in and rescue the 12 POWs as they're escaping enemy territory, making their way back to the helicopter. This man who's just had his face blown off gets shot in the back. So now he's got a bullet in his back and his face has been blown off. They finally get to the helicopter. They get the POWs in there. He lays down, he falls down in the helicopter and someone does a count and realizes that there's only 11 POW, 11 of the POWs made it, that there's one that got left and has been lo was lost on the way and they need someone to volunteer to go back and get him. 
before anyone could say anything, this man who has a bullet hole in his back and his face has been blown off, jumps out of the helicopter and says, I will go. He gets back to the trail where, where he thinks that maybe the man was lost. He gets there. He finds the lost POW. As they turn around and head back to the helicopter, they come face to face with an enemy soldier and they end up in hand to hand combat and he gets stabbed in the chest, protecting the POW. So his face is blown off. He's got a bullet in his back. Now he's got a stab wound in his chest. He somehow wrestles the weapon away from the enemy soldier, kills him, gets the POW, makes it back to the helicopter, falls down in the helicopter, partially unconscious in a pool of his own blood. As he hears the medics say, he's too far gone. Leave him alone. Let's move on to someone else we can help. And the man hears what he says, somehow musters up the strength to set up. He can't even form a word because his lungs and his throat are so filled with blood. So instead of saying anything, he spits blood all over the medic as if to say, I heard what you said, but don't quit. Don't give up on me. I'm not, it's not over for me. There's still some life left in me. And spitting blood, he was saying, Hey, there's still hope. If I've not given up, you don't give up. And at some point, you've got to make a decision. I'm not going to let anyone bring their logic into my life and dumb down my hope. I understand faith has failed. I understand love has died. I understand I don't got much to go on, but I'm going to choose to be a prisoner of hope. I'm going to choose to not be a prisoner of pain. I'm going to choose to set my mind on the goal of my expectation and say, I will see what God's called me to again. I will see that hope in my heart at some point. And finally, if we go to this hope chest, I didn't know how else to say this to illustrate this, but hope gives us supernatural vision. Ephesians one and verse 18 says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope which has called you. Did you know your heart has eyes? It's called hope. The point is this, Paul is praying for the church of Ephesus and he's helping them understand your eyes will fail you. Your natural eyes will fail you. It'll get dark. It'll get cloudy at times. It'll get gloomy. And, and if you just trust these eyes, you'll give up. You probably heard of Florence Chadwick. She was the first woman to swim the English channel both ways, but on her first attempt, she failed. And she says with her own words, the reason she failed is she lost sight of her goal. When she was swimming, fog rolled in and though she was trying to keep going, she could not see the goal. So she gives up. They pull her out of the water. When they pull her out of the water, they tell her she was 150 yards away from her goal. But she lost hope because her eyes failed her. The clouds came in, the, 
the lack of visibility started to affect her. And that's how it is with all of us. The mind can play tricks on you. So Paul said, I pray for you that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so you may know the hope by which you were called. And the point is, you can check on, make sure y'all are listening real quick up there. You can't look with these eyes. Hope gives you supernatural vision. It enlightens the eyes of your heart so that you may know the hope by which you were called. So I can look out there in my heart. My eyes don't see the evidence of any of it. But faith is the evidence of things hoped for. So I'm going to go ahead and with the eyes of my heart, look and say, I know God's called me. I know God's got a purpose for me. I know God's got an assignment for me. And the only way you can do that is the Bible says you've got to allow the eyes of your heart to be what sees and to be what hopes. Let me ask you a question. Has your expector expired? Has what has the, the gift that God's given you on the inside to hope, to expect, has it expired? Job 14 and verse 7 talks about the tree that always has hope. Though it has been cut down at the smell of water, it'll live again. Isn't that beautiful? Even the tree has hope. Because at the smell of water, it'll lift again, live again. I wanted to take a few minutes today and talk from this depressing story of David. Because again, what I want you to see is the only reason Solomon was born was because David found a way to hope. I don't know what you're not seeing or not realizing or what's not being born in your life because you've not understood hope. But what I do understand is if your faith fails you and love dies along the way, you better learn to get a hold of hope. But if you'll learn it, if you'll capture it, again, it's not pain free. But if you can learn how to hope, again, what Abraham said, against hope or contrary to hope, he believed. Everything said you cannot hope. Remember, that's Jesus on a cross, right? God's putting himself on the line. And this is what he's saying to a weary world. This is what he's saying to a logical world. If I stay on this cross, if I stay in that grave, move on. But if I get up, you have the anchor that I do what I say I can do. And somebody here has shown up. And again, a lot of people, their life is just so full of faith. Others just, their life so full of love. And man, I love that for you. But I just wanted God to send me today to somebody. Faith has failed. And love has died. And you've not known what to do. Put hope in the middle. Put hope in the middle. I don't know how God will do it, but I know he'll end up connecting the two again. He'll connect them again in Jesus name. Someone's wanting to quit. 
I don't know how you're wanting to quit. Maybe you want to quit on life altogether. Maybe you want to quit on your family. Maybe you want to quit on your kids. You want to quit on your spouse. You want to quit on God. You want to quit on church. I don't know. But the word of the Lord to you is put hope in the middle. Put hope in the middle. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just throw that anchor out. Let it stabilize your soul. Let it stabilize those choices that you're about to make that are all based on what's back there. It's not based on where God's calling you. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv slash dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast.